When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey guys, Josh here. Just wanted to add a quick disclaimer to the top of this podcast. Because of the holiday, Chuck and I recorded very early in the week, Sunday evening as a matter of fact. And I tell you what, we finished up about 30 minutes before the big time commitment of Justin Scott, five-star defensive lineman out of Illinois. So. Just wanted to add that in here right now. Uh, You guys are obviously going to hear a lot of this, or probably already have, by the time that this episode goes up on Wednesday. But great news for the Buckeyes, and Chuck and I will have plenty on that on next week's episode. Until then, go Bucks. Welcome to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am your host, Josh Dooley, and with me riding shotgun, as always, is Chuck Holmes. It's great to be back, and it's great to be with you guys for another episode. Chuck and I are recording from the safety of our respective basements, uh, just in case anyone is concerned. We both live in Ohio, which means we are not supposed to be outside, thanks to Canada, or we haven't, not supposed to be outside the past week or so, but... uh, yeah, Chuck, how are we feeling about our neighbors to the north, actually, these days? I know I certainly appreciate what they've done with, like, poutine and Drake and insulin, but they're sort of killing my summer vibe here. Man, have you seen a map of all the fires that are going on? Yeah, I mean, it's nuts, man. It's crazy. It's – I don't understand how that happens. Like, where – and I get it. It's it's super dry, but – I mean, there's hundreds of these. I'm I'm blown away that this hasn't been. I'm happy it hasn't been a problem before, but I feel like this is something that should have already happened in our lifetime. Can I make a confession? Oh God, sure. I, I didn't know Canada like even had fires or forest fires like this. I <laughs> no idea whatsoever. That's, that's fair. Yeah, the first one I knew of uh, was this year, and it went from one to 352 within like four days. And now we can't breathe the air. Uh, I guess the rain helped a little bit today, but it's still 
it's it's crazy. I don't I don't even know. I can't even imagine what it looks like there. Like I know I've seen pictures, but like being a part of it just is it's got to be a crazy sensation for for our uh, friends to the north. Yeah, absolutely. And you see, so like you've seen some of the games the past week. It's it, it's much better now, but like uh, I saw the Pirates game a couple days ago it was still sort of crazy. They got delayed or pushed back. So um, you know, all jokes aside, shout out to Canada, wonderful people. But let's reel it in, Chuck. Let's talk Ohio State and all things scarlet and gray. Slow week, slow week news-wise. You know, middle of summer, football recruiting heading into a dead period. But uh, there was one interesting bit of news that came out last Thursday, actually. So Nicholas Petit-Friere, former Buckeye offensive lineman, currently of the Tennessee Titans, was the first name to come down last Thursday. He was suspended six games for placing bets while inside an NFL facility. Uh, And then a little bit later, it was Rashad Berry, another former Buckeye, currently of the Colts. I think he was on their practice squad. He received an indefinite suspension for some sort of violation of the NFL's gambling policy. So three total Buckeyes suspended or former Buckeyes suspended under that policy, joining Jamison Williams, who obviously finished his career at Alabama. Chuck, do you have an issue with the NFL suspending guys for gambling either, you know, in the facility or on other sports. It can be different things there. To me, it seems like the NFL's actions could be considered highly hypocritical because they're in bed with these gambling companies. But at the same time, they've kind of established the rules and guys are breaking them. So where are you at on the whole NFL gambling policy and whatnot? I, I, I'm okay with it. And, and to kind of put it in perspective, it looks like the Colts actually waived Barry and Isaiah Rogers when they, well, and Ro- I mean, Rogers bet on an, a player prop for his own team. So that's, I mean, I don't know how there are degrees to it, but you can't get much dumber than that. And can, yeah. Can much more uh, uh, like the the ethics and everything. like that's some Pete Rose stuff right there. Well, and and so it sure seems like I know they uh, they didn't officially come out with it, but the guys that were the indefinite suspensions, it seems like that they were all football related bets, and that's like to, to me that's just like uh, human being one hundred and one. Like that's that's one of the first rules. Like you can. You've heard it from multiple people in multiple sports. There are signs up in every locker room about gambling. So for them to gamble on football, no matter how accessible it is to them, is dumb. It's just it's so unbel- it's just so mind blowingly stupid that um, I, I just can't believe it. Uh, the guys like Nicholas Petit Ferrer, who said he didn't bet on football, he just bet in the um, in the facility. That's just a dumb mistake, but it's like you've got to you got to be smarter than that, right? No better. They're not no saying better. he can't. Yeah, you've got to know better. Like, delete the app. Have a don't tell me you don't have a burner. <laughs> <laughs> Ask Chris Carter. <laughs> you got to have a you got to have something. Have a separate phone for your gambling. If that's like what, it doesn't have to have anything on it but those. But you've got to you've got to be smarter. I I guarantee the NFL was way up front with this as soon as it's alive in a state i guarantee they're sitting these guys down and explaining to them what the rules are so i just 
it's unfortunate for him that he probably didn't do anything integrity wise to, to jeopardize the league, but he broke a rule. It's no different than the guys that uh, fail drug tests. Like, you know, the rules, you know, what supplements you can take. If you choose to take a supplement accidentally or not, you're getting suspended for it. So it's, it's unfortunate for him. The other guys, it's not unfortunate. They're stupid. And, uh, while Rashad Berry's a former Buckeye, that was a really dumb decision, and it probably cost him his career, in all honesty. Like, he's not good enough uh, for somebody to take a risk on this time next year, would be my guess. Yeah, who knows? Um, you know, looking at NPF suspension, the, the odd thing about that one was he came out and he was like, yeah, I attended a presentation or I listened to a talk, and it still wasn't clear to me. Okay, well, typically when something's ambiguous, I seek clarity before I do that thing, whatever that is. So, right. you know, to claim ignorance, even though you received some of the information, I think that's a silly move, but probably not going to hurt him too much in the long run. The other things, or the other guys, I equate this to insider trading. Like you can trade stocks and you can talk finance, but you can't do it about your company. Right. With these NFL players, you can't profit or, you know, whatever from insider knowledge of the game, of your team, things like that. So, yeah, I think that's going to be a big deal. And especially with Isaiah Rogers, like that's a guy who I don't know that he'll get a lifetime ban. But the fact that it's come out that he absolutely did make a thousand dollar bet on a Colts running back over under yardage, like. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, it's similar to Pete Rose. You know, Pete always used to say, well, I always, I only bet on the Reds to win. Well, but then on the days he bet on them to win, I guarantee those are the days that his bullpen was fresh or he had his good starter going yeah. or the days he didn't bet on them is the days he left the guy in. So that, that it's the same concept, right? Yes, it, if you're not going to bet on it every single week, it's an integrity issue. Now, if you want to bet on it every single week, well, then uh, we'll just do a direct deposit or do like a, a, a payroll deduction maybe. But yeah. it's the same concept. You can't take that information. And he probably knew uh, somebody was healthy or wasn't healthy. And, and he knew the game plan. That's the big – in football, that's the huge one, right? This mm -hmm. week we're going to uh, – we're going to pound the rock or we're going to air it out this week. And that will change over-unders when people don't know. How many times – a a year do we say, oh, man, uh, the Dolphins threw 62 times today. We didn't see that coming. Well, their game plan was different because they saw a, a loophole that nobody else saw in the, the opponent. So he knew that and could adjust accordingly. So, yeah, it's uh, not not a smart move by Mr. Rogers. And uh, I agree with you, man. He's, he's probably done playing professional football would be my guess. I still plan on reaching out to him, though, because if he could do that and give me some fantasy football information that nobody knows, you know, you and I are in leagues, not a ton of money, but I think I had Jonathan Taylor on a team last year. Like, I would have loved to have known from one of his teammates when he was feeling good and when he wasn't. So I have no problem with the integrity of doing that as far as fantasy football goes, because I'm selfish and I play it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, man, you can't bet on your own team. Like that's just whether you're a, a Pete Rose and you're betting on them or not big deal, big trouble, big yikes. So, um, you know, beyond that, not too much going on in terms of current events, you know, Ohio state related, except 
One thing, Chuck, uh, something that you and I talked about on a recent podcast very quickly, so I wanted to bring it up so that we can give ourselves a pat on the back here. Air Nolan, Ohio State's 2024 quarterback commit, moved up eight spots in the 247 compo- or the 24-7 composite rankings last week. He is up to number 39 overall and the number five quarterback. And it, it may have even changed again, honestly, maybe two days in a row. But, you know, he recently moved up eight spots after an impressive 11, Elite 11 showing. And it is the same bump he received after committing to Ohio State. So twice quickly, both after commitment and after the Elite 11, he jumped up eight spots, you know, and that's pending. The Buckeye bump, though, is what you and I talked about regarding Tavian St. Clair uh, last part of the pod previous the latter's ranking will remind will likely remain unchanged until his junior season. But Chuck, I just thought that that was interesting and somewhat topical, right? Because you called it the Buckeye bump. Like that was your term that I'm taking here. And maybe you've heard it before, but it's very real. It's very tangible. And we saw that with Aaron Nolan here. So I wonder if we will a year from now, see that with Tavian St. Clair, who you and I were like, ah, you know, is this guy always cracked up to be or, or what's Ohio state's deal here? This is another instance of them getting the benefit of the doubt. Absolutely. And if he has two or three games to start his junior season that are hot, if he comes out, wins a couple games, runs uh, runs a score up on a couple of them, it's going to be quick. Like, oh, uh, when you throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns and you're uncommitted, it's, oh, well, I guess we got to see who he's playing. When you're committed to Ohio State and you do that, then they're going to say, oh, yeah, this is this is why he's a four star. This is why he's a high four star by the end of his junior year would be my guess. They'll they'll continue to move this up because he'll continue to well, we hope he'll continue to perform. And then because he's committed, he'll be uh, I could <laughs> there's a scenario. If he keeps putting up stats similar to what he's done and similar to what Aaron Nolan's doing a year ahead of him, like there, there's a scenario where he's knocking on the same pushing a five-star rating uh, here in the next 13, 14 months. It's definitely possible. And I had to switch over tabs. I knew I had this pulled up, but uh, the 247 composite actually has Nolan at number 34 overall and the fourth ranked quarterback. It is their own ranking that still has him at 39 and five respectively. Regardless though, um, you know, a good summer for him. Obviously he performed very well at that elite 11 camp and has now seen an increase in the ranking. So Good for Aaron Nolan. Congrats to him for whatever that's worth from me, which is probably very little. But Chuck, what do you say we pivot here to heroes? Can I interest you in that? Is this where I start singing You Are My Hero or or do we wait until later in the pot for that? No, and we're not going to do Heroes by Bowie. But, uh, you know, in case you guys have not been following along and shame on you if that is the case. Landgrant is focusing content on a particular theme each week, hopefully filling the gaps and bringing up some fun and interesting stuff to talk about. Last week's theme was broken records, and this week it is Buckeye Heroes. Uh, you know, Chuck and I usually set aside some time on each pod to discuss these LGHL themes, and we did not want to just talk about, like in this instance, just the greatest athletes in Ohio State history. I, I feel like that's been done, and I don't know that we could give it justice. Like, I'm not putting a new spin on the greatness of Jesse Owens, right? As much as we should all appreciate everything that he did 
on the track and off in Columbus and elsewhere. You know, <clears throat> we wanted to try and come up with a few heroic players and a few heroic plays or moments each that we think are, are underrated, that Chuck and I think are underrated. That could be like a player hitting a buzzer beater or going crazy on a three-game heat check or an athlete who we just don't think gets proper credit. And hopefully we can properly explain our positions on that. You ready, Chuck? I'm in, and I'm uh, I'm getting the vocal cords warmed up just in case you change your mind. All right, yeah, you sit on that one. All right, so getting into these Buckeye heroes here, Chuck, I'll go first. And I want to start it off with a heroic moment or performance. So we'll do that, or I'm going to do that before an actual player or an athlete. The first heroic moment or performance that I can, that I kind of came up with, and this is underrated in our minds. I'm going to go with Steve Miller's pick six against Alabama in the 2015 Sugar Bowl. You know, Miller was slated to be a backup in 2014, like he had been for the previous three seasons. Uh, He was a Canton McKinley guy, one of many, but he earned a spot in the starting lineup after the Noah Spence debacle, right? He was an okay player, Miller that is, but didn't bring a ton of juice, just sort of a guy, right? I think that's a fair description of like his first three plus seasons. And you know, when people reminisce about that Sugar Bowl, I think that Zeke and Cardale Jones and those guys come to mind. But Miller made a big-time play in a big-time moment. Ohio State had momentum in the third quarter, but neither team had scored for like 10-plus game minutes, and the Buckeyes were only up six at the time. Miller makes the play, which, you know um, – He was on the right side, I believe, but he dropped back into coverage, which was sort of a rarity, right? Jumps back, makes a play, picks the ball off, runs it back for six, puts Ohio State up 13, and it's sort of a a wrap from there. So the play itself, just really impressive. I don't know if it was an assignment or a read by Miller, but he dropped back on that third down, like I said, sort of sat underneath an Amari Cooper route, if I'm not mistaken. Then Alabama's running back ran out to the flat. And Miller at least had eyes on him, but he stayed in his spot. I don't know if he was coached to do it or not. Like I said, he was a big sort of barreling defensive lineman. And Blake Sims for Alabama never saw him. Miller catches the ball, runs 40-plus yards, which is not easy for a guy his size. And that sort of accelerated things, I think, for Ohio State. Yes, Zeke's 85-yard run through the heart of the South gets all the pub. But I think Steve Miller's pick six is like right on that same level. And so that was the first underrated heroic moment or performance that I came up with. I can still remember. uh, I I think my back is still sore from how much jumping up and down I was doing while he was running (laughs) down the sideline. I could not believe he took that to the house when he I remember when he first caught it, I was I was screaming, get down, get down, because I was like, no, (laughs) we just need the ball. We just need Uh the ball. We we don't need anything else. And my man looked like Zeke running through the heart of the South uh, as he had it. It looked like he had ran the ball 500 times in his life. My man had it tucked. He was ready and he knew exactly. He had a nose for the end zone, if you will. It was. that after that play, even though they were the the game was where it was, after that play, for me, it was like, 
oh, so this is this is where we're at. Like we're we're yep. we're we're gonna see them win this game if they can continue to play like this. Like that was a backbreaker, and um, for not only for uh, Alabama but for uh, my old back as well. Yeah, and that's why I think it was such a heroic you know, moment of performance from him is because, yeah, Ohio State had their butt handed to him for the first quarter plus, and then they came storming back, but they were only up six. Like, it was a one-possession game, and Alabama had the ball. They could have easily gone down, scored, gone up, and the rest is the rest of history is different in this case. But it gave them some extra breathing room, and that was sort of the other part of it, too, Zeke is one thing. Let's put that aside. But Cardale Jones, look, great run throughout the postseason, right? He sort of stunk in the second half of this game. He was not great in the second half of the Sugar Bowl, especially the last like quarter and a half. Ohio State was struggling to move the ball. And then in the fourth, they were eventually able to lean on Zeke a little bit more. But if it weren't for that pick six and that additional breathing room, I really don't know what happens. Maybe Cardell Jones is forced to throw the ball more. And like I said, he was struggling a little bit. Maybe the Buckeyes are not able to feed Zeke and have him eventually make that 85-yard touchdown run. So that's why I think it was just such a pivotal thing and there was such a butterfly effect off of it or because of it that it's something that I will always remember. And, I mean, the guy's name you can make a thousand different jokes, right? So that's part of it too, is you remember the Steve Miller band on the run, you know, things like that. So it's just a super memorable play for me. And it's one that I'm likely not to forget anytime soon. So him being as young as he is, how many 50-year-old alumni uh, during and after his career at Ohio State have made Steve Miller fly like an eagle jokes to him? And then how many of them did he actually get? Does he, I guess he had to have finally figured it out, but you know that, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't listening to a lot of Steve Miller band growing up, I'm guessing. Yeah, no, definitely not. And I'm not, you know, I'm not familiar with the Canton area. I don't know how much like he heard any of that growing up, but you had to have thought that by the time, at least like late high school or maybe not, but I guarantee by the time he got to Ohio State, was at Ohio State, he probably heard of Steve Miller, man, I don't know if he was listening to any of those songs. I don't know if he was a Joker fan or um, Wild Mountain <laughs> Honey is another one. Like, I'm trying to think of a couple off the fly. But, yeah, that's just another memorable aspect of it. But the player and the play itself was really heroic, in my opinion. So that was my first – I went moment first, but, Chuck, the floor is yours. You're up with something that you've got Buckeye Hero related. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with one of my moments, and mine's a little older, uh, but it's a very similar concept in that it was a huge play that propelled Ohio State to a national championship uh, back in '02. Uh, for those of you that that remember, uh, late in the game at Purdue, Ohio State's down six to three. The offense has stunk at this point of this game. It's just awful, just just brutal. Uh, Craig Krenzel was bad. Lydell Ross was bad. It just, the, the game was, was, was terrible. Uh, I think there was about two minutes left, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, fourth and one, it was just third and 14. They get 13 yards, fourth and one. It's going to be a long field goal into the 50s. Uh, 
in, in Trestle We Trust. He doesn't trot the kicker out, much to my amazement. I remember watching it in my my uh, living room. I could not believe he wasn't bringing out Nugent to kick the, make the kick. And then I would have bet every single dollar, all like 26 of them that I had to my name at the time, on this being a run or a sneak, a running back like straight up the middle or a sneak by Krenzel. And what do you know? Holy Buckeye. Uh, he goes up top on fourth and one to Mike Jenkins. Uh, Jenkins comes down with it, 37 yards, and they win the game 10 to six on the most improbable 37 yard pass of in Ohio State history, and definitely of Craig Krenzel's career. <laughs> that one, I mean, like kudos to Krenzel and Jenkins. Stones. The set of stones on Craig Krenzel to let that ball go, it, it's just mind-blowing. Like, because there's no way that was the only call. Like, there had to have been, and I know they've talked about it, but like... That's what I want to know, is did he have an option there? Because if he didn't, if that was the only play call, then you want to talk about stones, cojones, testicular fortitude, whatever... Whether that was Trestle or otherwise who called that play in for the silent, like that's the thing that amazes me because, yeah, I, I don't remember if Claret was available. I mean, he had 14 carries for yeah. 50 yards. Was he out? Yeah. I, I'm almost positive he got hurt. Regardless, though, uh, you're right. Claret was out now that I think about it, and I had to read up for it in a second. Lydell Ross was at least yeah, acceptable, right? He was a oh, decent. Oof, oof. He was a solid enough running back. And, yeah, I mean, fourth and one, that's all you needed. And to go up top in a game that had just been putrid up to that point, I mean, those 37 yards, it was like a quarter, a third of the passing yards Krenzel had in that game, I think. Like, he was he was dreadful. I know the Ohio State defense was great in that game, but – they couldn't win it by themselves, obviously. And so, yeah, that's another one. I like that moment. Um, I don't know who I would consider the individual hero, but it doesn't matter. This is about heroic moments or performances, and that absolutely um, checks every box on it for sure. I remember sitting – I wasn't even – I was sitting on the edge of a broken futon and jumping up – uh, and just screaming, he he caught it. Like I, I couldn't even function as a human being when he caught the pass. And while the pass was in the air, I don't I don't think I I was breathing. I know it was only a couple seconds, but I I feel like my my heart might have stopped in those two seconds because it, a it was so unexpected, and then b the euphoria because once they scored that touchdown, it was like oh now it's next week it's Michigan like it. it Immediate, almost immediately, you know, I in my heart of hearts knew Purdue could not go down and score a touchdown. So once he makes makes that catch, you're like, oh, it's it, we're we're on to to beating Michigan and going to the national championship. This is this is wild. Yeah, I think Purdue was like four and five or four and six at that point, and yeah, I mean they hadn't scored a touchdown all game, but. Even the throw, too, like you want to talk about dropping it in a bucket. That was in the one place, really. And Michael Jenkins, underrated wide receiver, in my opinion. I know he's on a lot of like the top 10, top 15 list for Ohio State. Dude was a stud. And for him to go up and make that catch 
and just yeah the importance of when that took place in the season um chuck do you think that that is where like the the nightmares at purdue or playing against purdue is that where it started for you because i i can't remember much further back to where purdue mattered at all but from this point forward, I was like, I don't want anything to do with Purdue. I'm too scarred. Yeah, right before that, when when Tiller Joe Tiller became the head coach, and then all of a sudden Drew Brees is there, and they're throwing the ball all over the place, all willy-nilly. The Big Ten doesn't know what the hell's going on because they're throwing the ball 60 times a game. And he just completely changed everything. So, yeah, it right before that, you thought this kind of was the uh, – slaying that dragon <laughs> little did we know this was just waking that bad boy up and it was going to be continue to be a rough go at west lafayette for the next 15 18 years it seems like and the last thing i'll say about that one is i don't know if he had it at the time but kyle orton you know succeeded drew Breezer was the next guy up and was quarterback during this game you probably remember the neck beard that he had I don't know if you had it for this game, but you can't lose to oh, you can't lose to the Kyle Orton neck which is another thing that I will strangely always remember. I'm not real sure why. But let's just move on past that one, Chuck. What do you say? It's a good time right now. Let's go ahead and uh, take a quick break and then we'll come back with some more Buckeye Heroes. Sound good? I'm all here for it. Welcome back, everybody. What's going on? This is Hangout in the Holy Land with Josh Julie. I'm with Chuck Holmes, as always. And we are talking Buckeye Heroes, Land Grant's topical theme of the week. And so far, we've gone through one and one each, right? We've gone through some heroic moments that we think of when we think Buckeye Heroes. I want to get into a couple players here, Chuck. My underrated hero athlete, number one, I might be in the minority here, but I still think Maurice Claret counts as an underrated hero. You may think otherwise. He is obviously remembered for his contributions to the O2 team, Ohio State football team, that is. But I don't think he gets the proper credit today that he deserves. And maybe that's because of everything else that surrounded him and happened after the O2 season or like I said, maybe I'm just wrong here, and he's like a, a top five guy for a bunch of other Scarlet and Gray fans. I don't know. But Claret was more than just a good player on a championship-winning team, in my opinion. He was sort of the engine that made it go, along with the Buckeyes' lights-out defense, which might be an underrated heroic unit. If you're looking for moments from Claret, you know, he was Ohio State's entire offense against Michigan during that 0-2 season, during that game that they played. And then he had the strip against Miami, which I almost went with for my first heroic moment. It's just it didn't have as much of an impact. But I know you remember that game. Craig Krenzel throws a pick in the national championship game. The great Sean Taylor looks like he might run it back for a pick six. But Claret runs up behind him. And just rips the ball right out of his arms. Might be one of the best plays in Ohio State football history. Uh, again, I don't know the huge impact. I, if I'm not mistaken, Ohio State only went down and scored a field goal after. But again, it may have prevented a pick six. So 
those are just a couple of moments. I know the name is popular, notorious, whatever, but I still think that Maurice Claret is an underrated hero. So he is my first Buckeye hero for this pod in this category. You know, my my heroes that I chose were more for their off field. And I'm almost for for me, that's where he really is um a hero in my yeah. book because he's 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 turned his life around and he's a positive influence on society. And for that to happen and for him to be willing to give back as much as he has after all that was taken or he had chose to get taken from him is is pretty remarkable. And and he's in the minority to be able to do that. So the season he had on the field was unbelievable and they don't win the national championship without him. And now, 20 years later, the life he's living now is equally or more important to those that are around him. And and kudos to him for that. And I almost went off on a tangent. Like when I was taking my notes and making my notes, I almost put all of that in here. I was just like, I don't know if I can encapsulate it, but maybe we don't have to, right? Maybe it's just your response is perfect that yes, as a player, he did some heroic things, but he also has done some very heroic things post playing career. And, you know, so I think he will always go, down in history as a, a legendary Buckeye, but there will be non-football fans, non-Ohio State fans, and um, you know people who just aren't even familiar with that part of his life that also still consider him heroic. So yeah, great point by you, Chuck. And that was a quick one. I'm going to turn it back to you, see if you've got a player or another performance for us. What do you got? So I've got a guy... He's not real well known. You may have heard of him. His name's Archie Griffin. Are you familiar with this guy? Rings a bell. Okay. Most of our listeners are probably familiar, at least. No, they know that he played for Ohio State. So uh, everybody knows what what Archie Griffin did on the field. You know, uh, two-time Heisman Trophy winner, uh, all-time leading rusher in Ohio State history. He played seven years for the Bengals. And then after that is when he, in my mind, became uh, the hero that I I see. Uh, I'm not old enough to have watched Archie play at Ohio State. Uh, He's one of the few that we talk about that I'm not old enough to have seen. But after his career, you know, he spent uh, over a decade as president and CEO of the OSU Alumni Association. And that is a job that is a game changer when that part of a university is operating correctly. Uh, and, and it's it's for multiple reasons, right? Uh, fundraising is so important when uh, dealing with universities. Uh, obviously, he was not, quote unquote, in charge of fundraising. But if you have an engaged alumni base, uh, you, you have a, an ability to take the next step uh, as a university. So with that, uh, there were numerous programs they brought into uh, the university as this, uh, as he was doing this job. Like it's kind of when, when he was in charge of the alumni association was really when Ohio State took that step from like 
oh, this is the State School of Ohio, to they are like a nationwide powerhouse now, not in athletics, as a school. When I enroll or when I applied for Ohio State, anybody that went to lived in Ohio and met the minimum expectations that were testing GPA, you were automatically admitted. I didn't have to send in anything. I sent my transcript and I sent my application and I was, I was admitted to Ohio State. Well, that's not the case anymore. And the reason it's not the case anymore is because they are drawing all these successful students into this university. If they had that same expectation that they did then, There'd be 300,000 students at Ohio State. That's how popular this university is with those that want to get an education. And only 85 of them are on football scholarship, right? The other 65,000 are not. And they're here because they want to go to Ohio State. So for him to be a part of alumni relations when this boom happened, to me, um, he is one of the top two or three people in my mind that are responsible for this elevation of Ohio State into an elite university. Yeah, like I don't think you're saying the boom was because of him, but he he put a face to Ohio State and vice versa, just like because, you know, media, multimedia just it wasn't wasn't as big of a deal when like Jack Nicholas was post Ohio State, right? Like when I I see where you're going. When you think post Ohio state, like athletic career, like Archie Griffin's one of the first people you think of, and he did a ton of great things for this university. And you're right. Like he helped put a face to the name and vice versa um, without really getting too involved in the academics and the politics and things like that. Like he was sort of the poster person really. And just all the things that he did for Ohio State University and not Ohio State football, like it's sort of crazy to think that his contributions were equal on the field and off. Like that's what's sort of crazy. The only two-time Heisman Trophy winner was just as important, just as influential, and just as like, you know, on the Mount Rushmore for Ohio State off the field. Because when you think of the school, no one really thought of Gordon Gee or uh, Kristen or Christina Johnson. I'm drawing a blank on her name right now. That's how little I cared about her, the outgoing president. Um, so, yeah, when you thought of academics, even though he was an athlete, like you just naturally, your thoughts gravitated to Archie Griffin. So that's a really good one in that's the thing that sticks out the most to me is just how important he has been to Ohio state university on field and off. Like it's equal, even though he's got two Heisman trophies, that just blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, and he hasn't been the president and CEO of the alumni association since 2015, but you would never know, right? You would never know if you're not involved day to day because he's still such an ambassador for the university his only goal is this university continue to grow and get better. And it's a genuine love for Ohio state that he has that might be unmatched in the world. That You hit it. He's the ambassador. He is literally like the Ohio state ambassador. In my opinion, there is not anyone else 
NBA. I think maybe Jesse Owens, when you think all time, is also on that like Mount Rushmore of like those four people that you think of. But as far as like current day, or really even the past couple of decades, the ambassador for Ohio State is Archie Griffin. I think that's a perfect term or definition for him. So good job by you, Chuck. I'm, you know, it's my turn here. We're going to go a little bit of back and forth here. I'm going to go with another heroic moment or performance. The number two underrated heroic moment or performance that I have written down, Curtis Samuel's second overtime against Michigan in 2016. Number two versus number three. A lot of people remember Samuel's game-winning touchdown, but I also think that quite a few people give like JT Barrett credit for winning that game, or they look back and they see that he converted the fourth and one. He rushed for 125 yards and a touchdown. But not only did Curtis Samuel score the game-winning touchdown, he also made something out of absolutely nothing right before Barrett converted that famous fourth and one. On third and nine, uh, Barrett hit Samuel on a little swing pass to the right side, and the ladder was completely bottled up. Michigan's defense had him surrounded. Like, it was going to be a four- or five-yard loss, but Samuel reversed field, broke a tackle or two, and damn near got the first down himself. The 2016 season didn't end in a national championship or anything like it did with a Steve Miller or like it did with Maurice Claret, the first two either times or players that I brought up. But that game was a historic one. And so what Curtis Samuel did in that game, but more so the end of that game, is something that I will always remember. And so Curtis Samuel, Buckeye hero, heroic performance for me. It's a heroic performance for me just because of the way he made Jim Harbaugh feel after that game. <laughs> that was <laughs> the the insert the Harbaugh holding up his two hands uh, a foot apart meme forever. Like you can inject that meme into my veins uh, as a uh, way to cheer me up for the rest of my life, and I'll never forget or- why. Or cheer you down. I had a girlfriend send that meme to me once. I did not have the, uh, the best reaction. Why does Harbaugh know what you do or don't have? That's the question I want to know. I'm not making any reference. I didn't even understand the meme. You know, I'm just saying. I, I wasn't in a great mood when I saw that for some reason. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Curtis Sam, just, he just made plays, right? That, that game was as choppy and it's unfun to watch a winning uh, game against Michigan could be. Not it a was good just, game. It was, yeah. no, it was brutal. And I never I never felt comfortable about Ohio State winning that game until he crossed the goal line. Like, I was not comfortable that entire time thinking they were going to – I just – I had a bad feeling the entire time. And he he saved my soul for at least that day. I had to go back. I knew I wanted to talk about the moment or whatever, but I was going back and looking for some highlights. And the other thing about that game, I think Samuel was targeted like a dozen times. And he was the leading receiver, I believe, in that game. But JT Barrett also missed him. 
with a ton of throws. And JT Barrett's interception that game was because of Curtis Samuel. Sort of bounced right off of his hands. Very catchable ball. So, yes, he was uh, a key figure throughout the game. But he also had to sort of redeem himself a little bit for that interception that he caused. And uh, he more than did that, especially in the second overtime. The third and nine play is like, that's some video game stuff, right? Where you run behind the number and run behind the line or you run both sides of the field, reverse everything. Like he did that. And and that set up the rest of everything else that you and I will likely remember for a long, long time. So Chuck, what's your next one? So my, my next player or performance, I should say, and it was in a losing effort, uh, but I, I, I remember watching it all the 2007 basketball national championship against Florida and Greg Oden like single-handedly kept Ohio state in that game and solidified why he was going to be the number one pick. There was, there was talk of, you know, Kevin Durant, he's a scorer. He can do this and that. And don't get me wrong. Hindsight is 2020, but the reason scouts thought Greg Oden could be a transformational player for a franchise was because he took on the reigning national champs and went for 25, 12, and four blocks. And that doesn't even do justice to what he, the influence he had on that game. He completely marginalized the paint for Florida. Now, he got no help offensively, save for Mike Connolly. The team shot 17% from three. Uh, he had almost half the rebounds the team had. Him and Conley were the only ones that even bothered to show up for the game. But he he literally almost drug Ohio State to a national championship against the defending champs with that performance. And it was it was a sight to see when he when it happened. I haven't thought about that game in a long, long time. I'm glad you brought it up because when I do think about that game, I think about Greg Oden. Like you mentioned it, Mike Conley was fine in that game. He was certainly Oden's really only running mate. I think Ronald Lewis probably put up like 10, 12 points in that game too, but it was all about Greg Oden. Like his, his presence, his aura was like everywhere. It was and you talk about what he did to that Florida team. I mean, I pulled it up. Joe Kim Noah, one for three, somehow scored eight points because I know you remember his free throw. He went six for six from the line. I don't know how. God, that was the that was the last time in his in his whole life. And he played yeah, for but 15 I mean, more years. But he played 20 minutes because he had four fouls, and some of that was because of Greg Oden. And he helped neutralize Al Horford, who was a hell of a college player. Shot less than 50% from the field, he did. So, yeah, I, that is absolutely a heroic performance in defeat. And it sucks that they lost that game. And that was certainly Ohio State's only real chance at, at this thing for the last, I don't know, how many years. I mean, I know we're talking about this one. And, yes, they made it into the championship game. But I think it's the only team that had a realistic chance of even making it that far. Uh, in many, many years, as far as I'm concerned. So a heroic performance. I think about that game too. And the thing that, the thing that sucks is, and I'm not like bagging on this guy, but I'm looking at the box score, Jamar Butler, one for seven, 
one for six from three. And what's so disappointing about that is Jamar Butler was one of the best and certainly most clutch three-point shooters I can think of in a long, long time for Ohio State. Like, he could drop it um, and a really great three-point shooter. So, rough game from him, but still, despite what was going on around everyone else, Greg Oden, hell of a performance for sure. Yeah, you look at the box score, and it's rough. Looking at some of the shooting performances, like Ivan Harris going two for eight from the floor and three. So it, it sure seems like Ivan just went three-point line to three-point line. He didn't even bother touching the paint. And I know that that wasn't his game all the time, but, like, come on. One, one offensive rebound. He did have five total. But, yeah, it was uh, – it, it, watching it live – that first half, they were they were jumped on and they were spooked. And the only reason they weren't down 25 at half was because Odin was just a man amongst boys. Yeah, I think that's a really good performance. It was a bummer that it was in a losing effort, but counts nonetheless. Chuck, I'll go ahead and uh, this is going to be my, my last one. I'm going to go with underrated hero, number two, athlete. And this one, this should be pretty short and sweet. Underrated hero number two for me is Kyle Snyder. Only underrated because I think that very few people follow collegiate wrestling, but Snyder is basically Captain America and one of the most accomplished Buckeyes of all time in any sport. He went 75-5 and at Ohio State. He won three individual NCAA wrestling championships and helped the Buckeyes win a team championship as a true freshman in 2015. And then while he was still wrestling for Ohio State, he won the world championship, NCAA championship, and an Olympic gold medal all in 2016, which is unheard of in any one year. Just Google the guy, right? Snyder has contributed to, has continued to win competitions and medals, cementing his status as, as one of the greatest American wrestlers of all time. But there is just no doubt in my mind, Kyle Snyder is one of the greatest Ohio State athletes of all time, and it's not even an argument. I don't know anything about wrestling at all. I know you've written a ton about it. Um, it's it's a passion of yours. But I still I, I'm still right with you. Like he is the he made you think about the program in a completely different manner and think about the university in a different manner with the way he was performing on the mat. Um, and, and for him to represent our country was, was such an impressive feat. So I'm with you, man. I am as uneducated as they come and I could not be more on board with, uh, Kyle Snyder, great, uh, American Ohio state hero. Yeah. I mean, the Olympic, you just, that gets added on to his Buckeye legacy. But yeah, you're right. Ohio State was an up-and-coming program for sure, and he wasn't necessarily the star of that 2015 team. Uh, I'd say Logan Stieber was, but he was definitely a contributor as a true freshman and helped that team win in 2015. And they have sort of stood the test of time. Tom Ryan's Ohio State wrestling program has, and Kyle Snyder is probably a, a big reason why. So he was my underrated hero number two. Chuck, what do you got for your last one? Yeah, mine's, uh, I'm going to shift gears a little bit, uh, but mine is, um, mine's for a little different reason. Mine's Bill Willis. 
and uh, the stuff that Bill Willis did on the football field at Ohio State and in the NFL, uh, you know, he was a part of the first national championship at Ohio State in 1942. Uh, he won a championship with the Browns in 1950. Uh, he's in the college and pro football Hall of Fames. But for what he did being one of the first two African-Americans to play professional football in the modern era, uh, him and Mary Motley were both uh, played for the Browns months before Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. Now, Major League Baseball back then was a much bigger deal. Um, and Jackie Robinson had a completely different experience that obviously I could never even speak on. But for what Bill Willis did then and then off the field to dedicate the rest of his life to the youth of Ohio. I mean, he was chairman of the Ohio Youth Commission until his death. Like he stayed in that role through 2007 when he unfortunately passed away. So his life is one of those lives that impacts people for generations to come. And for like that to me is like the epitome of what a human hero is. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add. I really don't, just because I, I know enough about Bill Willis. Pro no, I probably don't know enough, if we're being honest. Um, and I I probably need to do this. I would encourage others to, to, like, if you don't know that much about Bill Willis, Google him, go and learn. Just um, an amazing Buckeye, sure, but an amazing human being uh chuck i don't even know if you brought it up like he also volunteered for the u.s army but he had like some sort of weird i think it was varicose veins or something like that so uh but regardless you know volunteered for the u.s army in addition to all of this other stuff that he did in his life so um yeah that's you summed it up pretty well chuck i'm not even gonna try and uh knock you down a peg or anything like that. I think you've had some really good ones this pod for sure. Uh, would you dare to say that it has been another winning pod for me? Are we willing to go that far? You're the only one keeping score, but yeah, absolutely. You can definitely take All this right. win. I'll wave the white flag and we've run through a couple here, Chuck, and we're coming up on about an hour. I got to ask you, you got any reader questions or li I'm sorry, listener questions for me this week before we get out of here i do i got one from tim here man we, i feel like this is the second or third tim we've had too and we need some uh some people with some names we haven't heard yet can we get some made-up names or something like an otis uh, somebody who yeah so oh yeah absolutely well, otis might exist but otis is gonna be like 98 years old i don't know that he's gonna be on the old twitter machine setting this somebody DMs, somebody sent us a question from like the pseudonym ac green Always been a big fan of that name. But, yeah, I mean, we're trying to hear him from everyone. Uh, uh, so Tim asked, uh, where do you think in the uh, national rankings this uh, Ohio State 2024 recruiting class ultimately ends up? Or I, I believe there's still two right now. Is that correct? Yeah, unless something changed this past weekend, they should be number two by an inch. I think that – if they are able to get 
Uh, seems like they're in a good position for Marquise Lightfoot out of Chicago. If they can get another high four-star or five-star defensive lineman, whether that's Edrick Houston, Dylan Stewart, if they can get two, and then I don't really know what else they would need beyond that. Maybe some secondary help, but if they get Marquise Lightfoot and at least one other defensive lineman who is very highly ranked, and maybe add a guy or two to the secondary, because I think everything else is sort of covered, then I think that they could finish as a top two, three class. If they miss out, like they have unfortunately done in years past, not so much the secondary, but like if they miss out on some of these other five-star defensive linemen, then maybe it's a five, six, seven class, something like that. But with the direction they're heading and the momentum they have, it seems like they're in a really, really good spot to land in, I would say, that top three. I don't I don't see that, and here's why. They Ohio State doesn't have the history that Alabama and Georgia and A&M and these schools have of closing. Ohio State likes to build their class early. How many years have they been the number one class at this point? And they're number two right now, only to finish. And, and don't get me wrong, they're not finishing 20th. They're finishing three or four or five. So to me, the fact that they're two, um, they're not, they're just not going to flip the guys that Georgia and Alabama generally flip at the end of the cycle. So to me, this screams that they're going to end up in the four or five range if they can get those guys. If they don't get those guys, it, it can get hairy quick and they could end up dropping out of the top 10, in my opinion. So these guys coming up are very important for them to maintain where they are so that they don't drop when inevitably Alabama signs nine five stars that they didn't know of, nobody had heard of prior to national signing day. Yeah, here's the thing that here's why I think they're in a little bit better position this year. You're right. They've they've lost some guys or just they haven't closed as strong in a couple of recent seasons, but you look at this current 2024 class, the top two ranked recruits, both wide receivers. I know they could flip and go elsewhere, but who else do you want to play for? Who do you want to play more so than Brian Hartline? The answer is nobody. So those guys are helping to carry the class. They're both five stars. Third highest ranked player, Air Nolan. He's a five star. He's helping to carry the class. Could he flip? Sure. But who else do you want to play for other than Ryan Day? Not a lot of guys, not a lot of coaches. Uh, and then you just go down the line, Bryce West, Ohio kid, Garrett Stover, Ohio kid. So I guess what I'm saying is the the players in the class right now, I feel really good about. But at the end of the day, it also doesn't matter how good I feel about them now. Anything's possible. Um, but yeah, good point by you. They've, they've faltered late. And so they need to continue this momentum. I think another thing that will help them, though, too, is I, I don't have all the details. I don't know all the ins and outs, but it does seem like they are taking NIL much more seriously. So hopefully that works in their favor as well. Let's hope for the best on it. I got one more question. And this one's a little different. And you are going to kind of have to stretch your imagination on this one. But uh, name a if it were if there was one coach and we'll limit this to basketball and football 
so the the listeners have a better chance of knowing who it could be. Uh, is there a coach you would let your child play for uh, at Ohio State that has coached in one of those two sports, past or present? Name the one that you would want him to play for the most. You said football, basketball specific? Yes. Stick with one of those two sports. That way, uh, you know, I, Tom Ryan's a great coach, but uh, let's stick to the ones that most of our listeners know. That's actually pretty easy. I do have like 1A and 1B or one slightly below, but first one's got to be Jim Tressel, right? I mean, the senator one of the just most highly respected guys that's ever been in and around this university love Jim Tressel um, as a, as a coach and a leader, right? I think he brought a ton to the table and then only right behind him though is Ryan day. Look, I think Ryan day is going to be a very successful winning head coach, hopefully at Ohio state for years and years and years to come. But then you look at what he's done off the field sort of um, the things that he has taken uh, pride in or like given special attention to, whether that's, you know, mental health or just everything that he's encapsulated off the field. I think that he is uh, a good football coach, but more importantly, a good dude. And so Ryan Day would be right behind Jim Trestle for me. How about you? <laughs> you? You want to say Woody, but we just know, uh, God <laughs> rest his soul, 2023, he just could not, his way just wouldn't work in the way the world operates today. There's no way he could be, he would even make it to that position with the way he operated his program. Um, there's a couple that were just such bad coaches that I wouldn't want them anywhere near them. I don't care how good a person they were. I'm not going to, we're not going to dig dig on those guys too much. I think for me, the one uh, and and Jim Trussell is like an obvious one and and, and good call by you. To me, um, and I have some experience with this. Uh, for me, it would be Thad Mata. He okay. Is, yeah. uh, he was just always a a super stand up guy. You know, I have some family uh, connections. Uh, none that I personally have, but I have some family that had some connections to Thad. So it, um, I never heard a, a, a bad thing about him. Um, my wife, uh, worked in the basketball office when she was in college. And so she worked for Thad essentially. And, uh, she brought, when my youngest son was born, she brought him into the office. She had worked there for years. She had been all moved on to her career. And he caught wind that she was going to be in the office with the new baby and uh, demanded that she come down to the gym and see him so that he could see the baby. So stuff like that, like when you treat the people around you like that, to me, that's a, a concept that um, I'm trying to instill into my kids. Um and on top of it, he won a crap load of games for Ohio State. He's a really <laughs> good coach. I mean, he was the the coach of the team that almost won a national championship. He went to another uh, Final Four. So combining those two things, to me, it's a no-brainer. It's got to be that far. That's a good one. Uh, I think I just naturally gravitate towards football. But 
yeah, I mean, Thad Mono is a great dude. And I know, obviously, your family, so I've heard things here and there. But Thad, Thaddeus, whatever, um, man, he was a good one. And it, it sucks the way that his time here in Columbus ended. But you're not the only one who has, like, those positive thoughts and things about Thad Mono. I think that he'll always be remembered and revered in and around Ohio State Circle. So that's a good way to end, Chuck. You said you had two. I'm only giving you two. We're just over an hour here, but I think it's time to give these people some of their time back. So that's going to be it for us this week. Uh, Chuck and I cannot wait to record the next episode, find another theme. Hopefully some more news is coming our way. But until then, for Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley. Please go and like, rate, review, and subscribe to this pod. We want to hear from you, but we're out of here. And as always, go Bucks.